talk about this morning is going to cause you to react a little bit. And the reason I'm saying it to you ahead of time is this, right? I want you to overcome your reaction and go with me on it. What we're looking at, we're looking at seven laws of the spiritual life over these next few weeks. We started last week. And what we're looking at are bedrock truths about God that is so helpful to us. But some of the bedrock truths about God cut against our idea of how things should be. Some of these bedrock truths actually kind of cut across our grain, even as believers. Takes and cuts across our grain. But if we don't accept them, what we end up doing is developing a false idea of who God is. Now, listen, I realize, you know, listen, 90% of your theology can be correct, but the 10% that's not correct is what derails you. The 1% that's not correct is what derails you. And we have a difficult time sometimes taking the scripture and just applying it to our lives in its raw terms. Now, when we do, what happens is blessing, always. Knowing God and his way always brings blessing in our lives. And when we reject it and put it at arm's length, what happens for us is we end up struggling with it. Right, the one we're going to talk, to talk about, at first you're going to say, yeah, that, that's nothing new. But as we begin to apply it and flesh it out, you're going to say, hang on a minute. Now go with it. Right? Now don't go with it because I'm telling you. Go with it because it's scriptural. Take the truth and apply it, and there's blessing at the end of it. All right, as a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to you. Uh, Lord, we need your help. <clears throat> we need to have a right theology, a right picture of who you are. Now, Lord, would you just bless, would you just put your hand upon us, and blessed Spirit, would you take and take the word deep into our hearts, and Lord, may we rest in it and know it and be comforted and comfortable in it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, last week we looked at the first law. The first law is God is God and we are not. Now, that's not all that paddle, but obviously you can get over that because you know what? What can you do about that? God is God and we're not. But, you know, the, the truth about that is it's hard for us to actually keep that in perspective in our lives. Because we want to stand up for ourselves sometimes. We want to tell God what for. We, we, we want God to do it different sometimes. But he's God. You know, we're not. Basically, we've got to accept what he does in our life. This is the truth that we're going to look at today. God doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. Now you're saying, well, I know that. But <clears throat> what about the ramifications of that? God doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. That's not a comfortable thought to us because we want to have an equal relationship. Look at our relationships, what we do. We're talking in men's school, we're talking about in men's Sunday school, we're talking about the, um, uh, <clears throat> the relationship between men and women. And in a relationship between a man and a woman, that <clears throat> everybody wants to know, you know that the other is committed and I'm committed and we're kind of going to give as much as we, we receive in it, right? And it's kind of equal. And we can feel needed in a relationship so we feel okay. But you're in a relationship with a God who doesn't need you. You have no angle. You have no hold on this, God. Absolutely none. You desperately need him, though. Now, we don't like desperately needing anything or anyone. But we desperately need God, and we have no way of controlling him. See, he's God, and we're not, and we have no way of controlling him. uh, But we desperately need him. Now, here's where we're going to struggle. God did not save us because we were of value. Now, here's why we're going to struggle with this thought, because in all the love relationships that we have, uh, we have value, 
and the other person has value, and you know we love because of the value that we meet in it. But in this relationship, God loved you in spite of the fact that you had no value. Now you could say this, and it's true, you have value because he loves you. But in and of ourselves, we have no value. Now don't react. Go with me as we look at the scripture on it, right? <clears throat> Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. A lot of no's there, right? A lot of none's there, right? And, you know, it's about us. It's about us before we were saved. You're not saved here this morning. God is saying this about you. It's hard to take. You know, when I, when I got saved, I thought I was a good guy. I thought, you know, listen, I'm not so bad. There's people that are a lot worse than me out there. You know, I'd have had a hard time subscribing to all this. None righteous, no righteousness, not one. Do you do you know what that means? That means that all the good people out there that do good, and a lot of people do good, they're not righteous and they're not good, not in God's eyes. Uh, there's none that understandeth. Nobody understands God. Apart from God revealing Himself, there's none that understand, and there's none that seeketh after God. Now you say, okay, now hang on a minute. I was seeking after God when I got saved. Why were you seeking after God, though? Because He was seeking after you. That's always the way it is. There's none that seeketh after God. Apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we would never seek after God. We would live our li own lives and do our own thing. They're all gone out of the way. They're altogether become unprofitable. There <clears throat> is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, that's the picture or the backdrop against which God saved you. Now, you, you, you go through those and you'll try and find some value in yourself why God saved you. And I, I think we all do it at times. But He didn't save you because of anything good in you at all. He didn't save you because you were special. He didn't save you because you were wonderful. He loved you because He would love. Let's, let's look at more though. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Now, that's talking to believers. Talking about this abiding relationship. But do you know how much I can do for God apart from God? Nothing. Here I am. I've trained as a pastor. I'm 22 years uh, in the ministry. And there's nothing I can do Apart from God, that's sobering. That is sobering. You know, <clears throat> because in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And, and that's the same for all of us. Romans 7.28, this is the Apostle Paul, and he saved at the time. And we would look at Paul and think Paul was, you know, <clears throat> was, you know, <clears throat> incredible in his uh, zeal and service for God. See what he says about himself? He says, a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What he's saying is, I need to deliver. I need someone to deliver me from it. I need someone to. I need someone to uh, to save me uh, from the, the from myself, effectively. <clears throat> First Corinthians eight verse two. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Here's the thing. You know, we get to the place where we say, well, you know, I know a thing or two about a thing or two now. I've been around around the box spiritually for a while, and I, and I kind of know some things and understand some things. And God says. No, you don't. 
The only way you know anything is if I give it to you. Remember when Peter declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God? What did Jesus say to him? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Every truth that we know and understand comes from him. It comes from God. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 3, verse 4 and 5. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Now, listen, if I'm not sufficient, you, <clears throat> you help me here, what am I? If I'm not sufficient, what am I? Insufficient. I'm insufficient. I'm not enough on my own. You see, I am created dependent. Totally dependent. And he didn't save me because uh, I was worth something. And he doesn't use me because I'm worth something. It's all of him. Isn't that hard to take? <clears throat> Let's go on, though. <clears throat> Any sense of independence from God that we have is deception and illusion. Any sense of independence we have from God, it's a deception. In fact, you know what it is? It's pride. By the way, if you're on Kindle, there's a free book on Kindle right now. It's Andrew Murray's book on humility. It is one of the nastiest little books that you'll ever read. What he does is he takes and he hacks away at the pride you don't think you have all the way through the book. But you can get it for, you can get it for free today uh, on Kindle. But, but here's, here's how he defines pride. He defines pride as being independence from God. That's what pride is. Pride is me thinking I can do it myself. I can go it alone. I can do it myself. I, I can make it happen. That, that's what pride is. And it's an illusion because I can't. It's impossible for me to do anything apart from God. <clears throat> uh, thinking I can do it myself. Uh, what about this? God owes me. Where does that put me in the relationship with God? It puts me in the place where God's dependent upon me and he's not. Not for a moment, not for anything. God is not dependent upon you or I for anything. What about this? <clears throat> I'm in with God. Are you in with God in the sense that you have a certain amount of control over God and God does what you tell him to do? Do you ever think those thoughts? That's pride. That's independence. That's, I'll do it my own way. <clears throat> do you ever think, I deserve better than this? What do you think about that for a thought? Remember, remember the book of Job? In the book of Job, what you've got is you've got Job going through all these dreadful trials. Terrible. And, you know, uh, by the end of the book of Job, he's destroyed. His family are gone. His, his business is gone. Everything is just in, uh, shredded in his life. And he's demanding answers from God. And God doesn't give many answers. Basically what God says to him is, Job, I'm God and you're not. Understand that. I'm God. I can do what I like in your life. And we, we always go to the place where, where God gave him twice as much as he had in the beginning. And, and we look at that and we think, well, you know, well, well, he deserved that. No, he didn't. God did that because of goodness and of mercy. It was not because Job deserved anything. You see... We're on a dreadfully sticky wicket when we come to the place where we're saying <clears throat> what we deserve from God. Because if God were to open the books for anyone in this room and, and say, yeah, okay, well, let's talk about what you deserve. 
It's not better than you get. Ultimately, it's hell. That's what we deserve. We don't deserve better. You see, so often our pride begins to fly and we begin to think, you know, I deserve better than this. No, I don't. He doesn't need me, but I'm hopelessly dependent upon him. Look at Acts 17, 24 uh, through 28. God <clears throat> that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now, catch that thought there. He, he doesn't need anything. You know, <clears throat> God didn't create us because he needed us. Well, let me give you an illustration of that. Does an artist paint a painting because he needs a painting? Or does an artist paint a painting because he wants to express himself? God created our world and us because he wanted to express himself. You know, it wasn't that he needed us. He doesn't need anything. Um, <clears throat> seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Right? You know, here's the thing. All of us are going to breathe a lot right? in these next few minutes. Right? You know, we're going to breathe constantly, and the more I talk about it, the more some of you are going to breathe, right? Uh, but we're all going to breathe. Do you know that our breath comes from God? That apart from Him, the air we breathe wouldn't be there. If it turns sour, we're all gone. Change the, change the makeup of the air, and we're all gone. We're finished. It's God. That give, we're, we're dependent upon him for such a basic necessity of life. Um, verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for, for to dwell on the, on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God has made us and he has uh, determined our times. All of it's in his hands. They, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Now God created us that we might seek him and feel after him. <clears throat> though he's not far from us, because the Spirit of God is at work in the earth. For in him we live and move and have our being. A certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. But we live and breathe in him. Let me, let me give you another picture. A baby in the womb. Is it in any sense independent? No. You know what? Mom doesn't eat. Baby doesn't get food. The baby is completely dependent upon mother. Completely. The baby, we, we could say this about the baby, right? <clears throat> we could say, uh, for the baby lives in mom... <coughs> and moves and breathes and has its being in mom. We live in God and move and breathe and have our being in Him. For us to think an independent thought is really just foolishness. And I realize people do it. And I realize some of you right now are having independent thoughts and saying, look, I'm not buying this rubbish. I'm my own man. I can do what I like. I can go my own way and <clears throat> have my own life. I realize people think that all the time. And you know, and if you decide you're going to walk out and you're going to do your own thing, you know, <clears throat> God's not going to stop you. But you know what? You're still going to be absolutely dependent upon Him. You say, no, I'm going to do my own thing. No, no, no. If He doesn't give you breath to breathe, you won't be living for, for five minutes. 
You see, we can rebel against him, we can demand our independence, we can demand our own way, and because he's given us free will, by the way, think about our free will. Where does free will come from? How free is free? We only have free will because God gave us free will. He actually protects our free will. Our free will is the freedom to choose. But he's God. Even in that, we're dependent upon him. Uh, Psalm 100. Let's go through this and then we're going to make some points from it, right? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye his lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Now, David understood what we're talking about this morning. He understood that God didn't need him, but he was absolutely dependent upon God. Now, David was going to be a king. David was going to be a man that won the country for God. But he understood, Now, a couple of times he forgot. And God saw to it that he paid a dreadful price for forgetting. Because God wanted him to understand, David, you're completely dependent upon me. Because I made you, David. Not you didn't make yourself. I made you a king, David. You didn't make yourself a king. David, I have these people following you. You didn't do that, David. David, I want you to understand you're completely dependent upon me. I don't need you, David, but you're completely dependent upon me. Um, <clears throat> verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Now, three points from the, from the psalm, right? First of all, we are his people. We are his people. <clears throat> now, what do we mean when we say we're his people? Well, you know what? Our glory is him. I'm nothing but, do you know my dad? <laughs> He's something. I, I, I have no power myself, but you know my dad? He has something. There's a wonderful story told about Joe DiMaggio. Joe, Joe DiMaggio was a, uh, one of the most famous American baseball players. And he went off to fight in the Second World War. <clears throat> and he came back from the Second World War, and he was demobbed, and he was just back. He wasn't playing baseball again yet. He hadn't, get, hadn't, hadn't gotten signed up and all the rest of it. So he took his son. His son was very young, and his son was his namesake. He was called Joe DiMaggio as well, right? <clears throat> and he took him to a baseball game. Well, pretty soon somebody recognized him in the, <clears throat> in the stadium. And the word went around the stadium that Joe DiMaggio was in the stadium. And they all started shouting, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. And it just went right around the stadium until everybody was chanting his name. And little boy Joe, beside him, his son says to him, Dad, they all know my name. <laughs> now you know what was happening for the kid? The kid was actually basking in Dad's glory and thinking it was his. But you know what? Our glory is him. Our glo- we don't need to take glory for ourselves because he's our glory. Remember Paul said, I will not glory save in the cross of Christ. What was he saying? He was saying, listen, my glory is the fact that he saved me. My glory is the fact that I'm his. We are his people. That's glorious truth. I don't have to strike a dash and be my own man and make it all happen. Because he's my dad. I bask in his glory. I bask in his love. I enjoy him. So the first thing we need to know is that we are his people. Secondly, he made us. 
Not we ourselves. You know, when it comes down to, uh, to people, we know so little about how we're made. That always fascinates me when you go to the doctor. You know, and the doctor, you know, he's paid a, high, paid, paid a lot of money for, for doing his job, and he sits there in front of you, and he asks you questions, and sometimes he'll be honest and tell you, I haven't got a clue. More often he'll say, I think it's this, let's try this. But he's, what he's doing is, he's, he's, he's hitting you with some antibiotic that, he, that this will cure most things, and he hopes it'll cure what you've got too, but he really doesn't know what's going on in there. You know, a couple of years ago, Val was sick, and we went to, <clears throat> to the doctor, and, that's, and they did test after test after test after test. They never found out what was wrong. They were never able to identify it. That's happened several times. Well, when Oriel was a tiny baby, Val got an infection that was really serious, and they took her into Vincent's hospital. She was in hospital for two weeks. They, they took so many blood tests from the back of her hand that her hand was sore. She couldn't stand getting any more blood tests done. And they never found out what it was. Now, here's the reality. We don't know what's going on, but he, he does. He made us. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He made us. He knows what's going on in there. And all, all our science is really just about uncovering how he did what he did. And we only know this much. But we're uncovering how God did what he did. That's, that's what it's all about. See, he made us, not we ourselves. And his mercy endures. Now, here's where it gets good. Because right? mercy is a key issue for us here. Now, God's mercy endures to all generations. His mercy is going to endure. It's going to continue on. God's going to continue to be merciful. God tells us some things about himself that turn him from being a despot into a loving Heavenly Father. Nobody made him do it. He just decided that he would do it. And one of the things he tells us about, he's going to be merciful with us. Right? Now, think about it. Here's why this, this truth is so important to us. Who gets mercy? Only people who need mercy. If you deserve it, you don't get mercy. You get mercy because you need mercy. You get mercy because, I don't deserve any better, Lord, but Lord, you said you were merciful. When I came to the point of getting saved, <clears throat> you know, I didn't come knocking on God's door and saying, now listen, I've been a good family man, I've looked after my family, <clears throat> and you know what? You need to save me. Because you need me on your team. You know what? I would not be saved today if that was my attitude. I would not be saved because you know what I need? I need to come, Lord, I am a sinner. Well, I deserve hell, but you said, based upon what your son did, you, you would show me mercy, Lord. I'm holding you to your word. Give me mer- and he gave me mercy. Then I was saved and I became his child, but it wasn't because I deserved it. And you know, anything, any blessing I've come to him for, I don't deserve. It's mercy. It's mercy. It's always mercy. We get in our, de- in our heads the idea that, that, you know, we deserve from God. But we don't. It's mercy. We need mercy. Now, here's the thing. When I realize that he doesn't need me, but I desperately need him, I automatically develop an attitude of mercy. I need mercy, God. My prayer life changes. My walk with God changes because I need him and he doesn't need me. I need mercy. 
Lord, I need mercy every day. <clears throat> when the pride begins to rise in your heart and you begin to think to yourself, <clears throat> now hang on a minute, <clears throat> I've done this and I've done that and I've done the other. Oh, that's when you get in the wrong side of God. That's when you get in the place where pride is rising. And you know what God does? God holds his hand in your face. Because God resisteth the proud. But giveth grace to the humble. No, you don't deserve better. And you never will. If you lived to be a thousand years old and you served God every day for a thousand years, you could never atone for your sin. Jesus had to do that. It was mercy. You see, we need mercy. His mercy endures. What you want to be with God is you want to be in a relationship where you're depending upon mercy. Not where you're depending upon <clears throat> merit. Because if it comes down to merit, we don't got any. We don't have merit to bring to Him. It's not about merit. It's about mercy. Lord, will you be merciful to me? <clears throat> and when you come to Him with mercy, you know what? His heart is automatically engaged because He's promised your mercy. He gives us mercy. You don't earn mercy. He gives us mercy. <clears throat> our relationship with Him is all about mercy. Now let's summarize our second law in several statements, right? First of all, God is free to do whatever He wants to do whenever He wants to do it. God can do whatever He wants to do whenever He wants to do it. He's totally free to do that. Now, that's nice on paper, isn't it? That's nice looking there in the screen. What about in your life? Is that okay today? Is that okay with what He's doing in your life right now? Or is there in your heart, this is not fair. I deserve better. I, I think if some of us were around when, when God was dealing with Job, we'd have been telling God, now listen, you need to say sorry to Job because you've given him a real hard time and he didn't deserve it. We, we, we'd have been catching God and telling God, you know what, listen, that, that's not fair that you just kind of so high-handedly treat him like that. Now he's God. He can do whatever He likes in our lives. Because He's God. He promises He loves us. He promises that He knows what's best and He's able to do what's best. But He's free to do whatever He likes. Is He really free in your life to do whatever He likes today? Are there some things in your life that you're saying, I don't want you doing that? In fact, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to do such and such. Don't we do that one? Don't we throw the head? And tell God we're going to go our own way and do our own thing. And you know what? He lets us. If that were you or I, we'd probably smite the person on the spot. But God lets us. Because it's no good to Him if we don't choose Him. So He lets us go. And you know what? His love goes after us. His love goes after us, but our relationship with Him has changed when we throw the head. But when I'm in the place of, he doesn't need me, but I need him. And I'm drawn on mercy. Life flows. Because that's the right place to be with God. But God can do whatever he likes in your life. Secondly, God wasn't obligated to create me, and he is not obligated to save me. Now, we want to put some caveat in there, you know, that it's only fair that God should save us because, you know what, <clears throat> I, we, we, we didn't commit the original sin and, uh, and we had no way out of it. No. You know what? We're all sinners for two reasons. One, we're sinners because Adam and Eve chose sin and sin visited 
on, on us. But you know what? Everybody in this room has made the choice to sin as well. Everybody in this room has made a choice to sin. Some of you can remember it, some of you can't remember it so well, but you know, we all make choices to sin. So, <clears throat> you know, Paul says it was in Romans chapter 3, he says, for we are without excuse. No man's going to stand before God <clears throat> and say to him, it's not fair. No, it's without excuse. God was not obligated to, to, to create us, and nor was he obligated to save us. <clears throat> Everything God does for us is an act of sheer, sovereign, amazing grace. Everything God does for us comes from grace. And some of you are in the place where, you know what, you live in that place of grace. You know you don't deserve it, you know <clears throat> you're not worthy of it, you know it's not what, what, what you should get, but He gives you blessing. And when you connect in that place, you really connect with God. But everything we do, God does for us, is an act of sheer, sovereign, amazing grace. Oh, don't get proud. Don't get to the place where you think that's what you deserve. You've earned it. Oh, don't do that one. Because when you do that one, what happens is you put yourself in the wrong place with God. God deals with his children in mercy. Not in what they deserve. Therefore, we are continually, continually in his debt at all times. You know what? I owe God. God doesn't owe me anything. I owe God a debt I'll never be able to pay. He doesn't expect me to pay. He knows I can't. But he owes me nothing. You say, what about salvation? He doesn't owe me salvation. He gave it to me free. Grace. Mercy. All the costs paid by him and nothing by me. I owe God everything and he owes me nothing. That thought should lead us to praise and worship as a way of life. You see, grace is that thing that when we really understand it, it turns everything around for us. No, I don't have a handle on God. No, no, I can't make him do what I want him to do in any sense of the word. I can appeal to him for mercy and he promises me mercy. I can appeal to him for grace and it's there. But, but, I, but I don't have a handle on him. I can't make it on my own. I need him every day. But he's there every day. And he meets my need every day. And it's grace and it's wonderful. And it's sweet and it's all because he's a God that loves. It's not because I deserve anything from him at all. The second law is not simply a statement of theology. It's meant to be a crucial stepping stone in the spiritual life. The first one is you have to admit that God is God and you're not. The second one is you have to confess your utter and complete need for God's help. And you've got to live there. You're never getting over it. And the day you think you're getting over it, God has ways of bringing you back to that reality. Lord, I need your help. Now, <clears throat> that's not very nice theology for us. That doesn't make us feel very good. But when we come to that place, we come to the place where God can bless us. Remember Jacob? We're looking at Jacob again tonight. But <clears throat> Remember Jacob when he 
wrestled with the angel. Jacob was a man's man. He could, you know, <clears throat> in that sense, he made things happen in his life. He kind of <clears throat> pushed for his own way and got his own way and did his own thing and, and, you know, and he paid lip service to God. And then he wrestled with an angel. And by the time the wrestling was over, he had a dis- dislocated thigh. And he limped for the rest of his days. You know what he learned? I need God. You know, that's what we all need to learn. I desperately need him. Now, when we come into the place where we desperately need him, he doesn't grudgingly take care of us. He loves us. And he's bountiful with us. But that's the only ground he'll meet us on. He won't meet us on the ground of what we deserve. He won't meet us on the ground of how good we are. He meets us on the ground of mercy. You see, God owns everything and we own nothing. And too often we feel like it's my life, it's my home, my kids, my family, my whatever. And everything you have is a gift from God. And it can be removed at any time. Everything you have. We also need to realize that our lives are broken because of sin. Doesn't it distress you sometimes how broken everything is? You know, families are broken, relationships are broken. Um, People get hurt. We're looking at ISIS. We're looking at bombs. We're looking at... We're in a broken world. Everything's broken because of sin. You and I are broken because of sin. It's left its mark. It's left its scars. We're broken because of sin. And you know what? Because we're broken, we need him. You might put it this way. If God doesn't help us, we're sunk. When it comes to salvation, if God doesn't step in and Jesus die on the cross for us, we're sunk. We, We haven't got a hope of paying it back. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, let me say it to you as plainly as I can. Apart from God doing it, you can't do it. And if you're honest, you'll have tried and failed. And tried and failed. You can't do it. Now you can today, you can, lift, you can, you can shake your head and you can say, well, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to have another go. But you're going to find you can't. It's impossible. Because the world is broken and you're broken. And the only hope we have is a deliverer. Someone that steps in and delivers us. Someone that steps in and helps us. You see, the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And isn't it true, before you got saved, you had to come to that place where you said, I can't do this alone. I desperately need God. And your, your, your understanding and your theology may not have been all that, that, that it is now, but you did understand that. You understood you couldn't do it yourself. And see, so you cried out to him. And he swept in and he saved you. If you're not saved, that, that's, that's waiting for you today. He'll sweep in and he'll do the work. But we desperately need him. We desperately need him. There's, <clears throat> there's, there's no way. Blessed are the needy. Blessed are the desperate. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the weak. You know what? 
the ones that recognize how needy they are get blessed. Everybody else gets rejected. If you think you can go it alone, God's not going to force you. He'll let you go. He'll let you go all the way to hell. If you're a Christian, you're a believer here, and you think you can go it alone, you can do your own thing, God will let you go. He'll let you go all the play way to the place where you're totally desperate. See, what God is looking for is God is looking for people who recognize they need Him. And with those people, He is abundant. If you can come to place in the God in the place where you recognize your need, you know what? <clears throat> He'll deal with you abundantly. Not on the basis of what you deserve. On the basis of mercy. But if you're going to hold out for what you deserve, you're going to miss out. You're going to lose. Let me close with an illustration. <clears throat> See, the big problem for us is pride. The big problem for us is that we want to stand up, we want to be our own man, and we want to be our own woman, and we want to do our own thing. And we need to be humbled. You've heard the expression, get off your high horse. That, that expression was born uh, <clears throat> from a church in Bethlehem where they believed that, that Jesus was born. What happened was that the church had a high door and the nobles used to impomp right into the church on their horses. So they, the priests developed a cunning plan. They brought the door down so that there was no way you could ride in. They had to get off their high horse to go into the church. You know what? In order to do business with God, you've got to get off your high horse. You've got to humble yourself before him. And when you humble yourself before him, he steps in with mercy and grace and blessing. And when you stand before him in pride, he resists you. See, first law is God is God and we're not. And the second law is he doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. And I realize in the 21st century that's a truth that some of you are chafing with. And you're going to say, well, it's the pastor's emphasis that's the, that, that's the problem. No, it's the truth that you need. It's the truth that we need to take on board. The reality is, God doesn't need me, but I desperately need him. And when I reckon I desperately need him, I can tuck myself in under his wing as he puts the picture himself. And I can be safe and I can be taken care of. But when I'm going to do my own thing and be my own man, I can flap around for the rest of my life and it'll never happen. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and Lord, would you ask you to bless. Lord, would you put your hand upon your people. Uh, Lord, <clears throat> would you ask that you'd help us uh, to swallow your truth whole and to find freedom and blessing in it. Oh Lord, we need blessing. We know we need that. We need blessing as a people and we need blessing as a church. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you bring us into the place of blessing that we might humble ourselves and that we might recognize our need and that we might see you in the need and all that you might meet it. In Jesus' name.